Hello, and welcome to Scuttlebutt, the war movie review podcast. We're happy to have you with us as we take a look at films from the dawn of cinema to today. We aim to provide a raw and unapologetic review of each film's cinematography, historical accuracy, and delivery. In the process of analysis, certain details will be revealed. These spoilers are only divulged to ensure a fair assessment of each film. We head to the ancient walled city of Nanking this week with Chung Lewis's 2009 Sino-Japanese War epic, The City of Life and Death. As always, I'm joined by Mike A. Hello. Mike B. Hello there. And Nate. Hi, and I have nothing smart to say this week. Well, that's on you. Well, I can't really talk, make jokes about rape and, and like, the rape of Nanking. <laughs> that's Nan not King. exactly yeah. not, like... Yeah. How the fuck can I make a joke about that? <laughs> Somebody bit that. Anyway, guys, so what do you think? <laughs> Ooh. Um. <laughs> yeah, Mike, go ahead. <laughs> I did. I said, Don't worry. We, we already have some angry boomer on Facebook commenting how they hate us. So we're, we're good for that. But you know. Well, then we're doing it right. No, I can just say it's a fucking heavy movie. You know, and it's, it's oh, yeah. a great it's film very heavy. Um, from, for so many different angles, but it's just really amazing. And it's probably uh, one of the best black and white films made this century, <laughs> you know? Um, I don't know. And 2009. Yeah. So that, that says a lot. It's kind of like, like the idea of Schindler's List. Yes, they've got all the technology to make it color, but when you film something in black and white with all the modern, like, kind of, cinematography and effects it it hits harder it proves a point harder because you're back in that time we've talked about this before on the podcast it hits harder when it's black and white because you're like oh this is back then i'm seeing like a newsreel basically in real life and yeah this i think they they made a good call on making this particular film black and white so yeah, I think it's really good. I uh, I think it's you know the best film I've seen about uh, you know kind of the eastern part of you know early World War Two ish all that stuff you know Indochina and things like that uh, and you know talking about Nanking obviously it's a big one and um, so uh, yeah I think it's I think it's really good and I think it's I like that it's really long you know honestly I think that it's stretching it out really like you know hammers home the the pain that is felt throughout this entire endeavor um there is no happy ending to it which you can't have a happy ending to something like this and uh yeah i think it's uh just come out swinging i think it's really i think it's really good you know i saw this back in film school first and uh made an impression on me it was like this is this is like china's apocalypse now you know that's kind of what it felt like to me in a way good way to put it what do you think about Nate? Um, well, uh, it's funny. Um, you know, this is this is part of the Lost Episode series in the early days for us, and uh, you know, it, it was very impactful, very powerful then, and I I still feel like it is the same as well. I mean, the um, there is some very very interesting i guess since my background cinematography and editing it really really good cinematography really really good editing yes um very stylized mm-hmm. shots very much very reminiscent of 
again, being black and white, but filming like it's black and white in a way. Um, but it also breaks the mold of that as well. It's not trying to do like, you know, stage black and white. It's trying to do like, um, kind of like the, the retro black, I like to call it retro black and white. It's kind of like, you know, taking modern film and aspects and and pulling it into making it look like it's older. And, um, no, it's just, um, very beautiful, very impactful, um, which is weird to have a Chinese uh, a Chinese war film be that because um, it is very hard to get past most times the propaganda that is pushed. Now, there is some, obviously, but it's not um, uh, superhero ninjas, although there's one or two scenes like that in the combat where he does, like, wall scaling and things like that, and I'm like, eh, can we not do that? But but there's uh but for the most part it's a very powerful very uh wonderfully filmed tragedy uh in black and white and with subtitles and a lot of people hate both of those and i would have to say that don't let that be the thing that stops you from watching this um really does hold up the second time watching it and i was more um more um I had I was really looking for things I missed the first time that I had watched it, and the first time we had watched it uh, last year was the first time I'd ever seen it, so I knew what to expect. So I was not caught off guard with the shock and all, and more trying to find the details that I'd missed and things like that. And there were some yes, really cool things for that. Yep. So yeah, um, a lot of them. I'll hand it off to I guess it might be what what do you think overall? Yeah, I know you so... kind of introed a little bit, but didn't dive fully in so. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's, it's going to be fairly short, I guess, as short as it can be with my rambly self. But, like, um, no, it was um, – I don't like black and white films, as we've established. And this one, I think it was better in black and white. Because, again, the city of life and death is – life and death is black and white, right? It's, like, whatever, like, is the metaphorical kind of thing. But, like – it um yeah it's the the cinematography like going through it now knowing a little bit more about cinematography learning from other people that know more than me it's like that was really 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 well done i mean very well done and the shots that they they did that were you know would be cringe if they were doing it the whole way through were actually put in places where it's like it it matters okay and we'll talk about that you know obviously after the first thoughts but like it was really well done. Um, and again, being a Chinese film, they portray the Japanese as humans, which is very, very, very interesting to me. And rare. Although ruth, ruthless and like, yes, they did yeah. this shit because it actually did happen historically. Yeah. It did. Yes. Right? And But they actually portrayed them, you know, at least some of them, as humans. Well, actually, most of them as humans. And just in a bad spot, and then they're going to do this shit, and they victimize people, and blah, blah, blah. It can happen. It's one of those films where it can happen in any conflict, right? And that was very cool to me, and I respect the hell out of that. I really do. Um, the, uh, as far as the technical shit, there's a couple little things that I notice. Again, I'm not an expert on NJA, especially in 1937. I mean, that's, that's, you know, things change, but, uh, for the most part, it looked good as far as technical stuff. Um, the vehicles they had, the the 
whatever. There was some dumb shit like with the the ordnance and stuff like that, like grenades and mortars. But that's in every movie. We could talk about that later. It's not a it's not an egregious like big problem, but like it still happened in this film, and it's like whatever. So I, I will I will rag on that. But overall, because again, yeah, it's it's nice to watch this a second time and like have to like really look into it more and like because we all we've all grown in the past year. And like, we all know more now than we did a year ago. And it's like, okay, this is very well done. And the editing, like you said, Nate, like just things that I've noticed about editing that, you know, I've learned from you and others is like, it's very, very well edited, very well edited. Uh, it flows. The, 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 the scenes are just cut together extremely well. And it's like, it gets the point across. It's real. Like you believe that there's that conversation going on, you know, between wh- whomever or whoever, wh- wherever it is in the film, like there's, cause there's so many interactions, but like you believe that because it's, it's so real and it's filmed so well and edited very well, um, to make it look like a real conversation. Um, the overall, like the macro level of the subject matter, very fucking dark. This, this whole, this, this event or series of events that correlated into one big event that we call the rape of Dan King that happened, I think is portrayed. Okay. Because I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know. I'm not an expert on this subject, but it wasn't overdone in my opinion. And like, it also wasn't underdone. And so that's what we'll, we'll get into. Like, again, these opening thoughts, but I, like, I, I hate to say, I hate use the word tasteful because I yes. don't want to use the word tasteful on this subject, but it's like, it's not well, pounding yeah, my like, brain yeah. to the point where I can't comprehend all everything that's going on, but it's not under, but it's not underwhelming the subject. And there's way. also character development. Yeah. Okay. And there you follow a certain group of characters and that's good. Like the way it shows, the NSDAP reps, basically representatives in China at that point, because they had a vast interest in a lot of things in China. They also had a vast interest with the Japanese. And so it's like when they recognize that, but then it kind of breaks down. We'll get to that. But like, it's that aspect thrown into this is something that most people won't expect. And really quick before my opening thoughts are over, I love at the beginning the juxtaposition. You fucking did it again, Brian. Blah. Fucking did it. Why don't you play me Wonderwall? I know. I know. The fucking spring on your goddamn. (laughs) I'll do it again. It was a problem on the twelfth man, by the way. It was constant. So really? Oh, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) This goddamn spring. It's like here. Let me. Let me. Let me flip my mic stand. I'm gonna flip my mic stand. (laughs) No, no. It's champagne supernova. That it's not even it's not even fucking Wonderwall. The juxtaposition at the be, at the very beginning of the film when you see the nationalist Chinese and the communist Chinese fighting each other, and they realize, oh, we have a common enemy. Let's just put this on hold for a second, and let's just go fight them. That's something that I did not pick up on the first time I watched this last year, but I did in this this time of watching it, and I'm like, because that's literally what happened. Because there 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 was a massive. Uh, basically civil war 
in China starting in the late 30s, right? Around 36, 37. A lot of shit going on in the late 30s, but nobody cares about that because World War II kind of blinds everybody to that. Anyway, so you get the nationalist Chinese wearing the Stahlhelme, right? The German helmets. And the communist Chinese wearing the hats and the khaki uniforms. And then they start fighting together against the Japanese who are invading them. Very, very fucking cool aspect to this film. Also, very accurate. So that that's one thing that I did not see last time that I just noticed this time. And I'm like, oh, that's a big deal, though. It really is. Mm-hmm. The you, Japanese I, view you, them all as Chinese. Yeah. You know what and I mean? You never, and, and you never see that. I, at least I haven't seen that in any other film. I've never seen that. that. Yep. Yeah. And so, well, I mean, I have seen it when I watched it last year, but I just didn't, it didn't, it didn't register. But yeah, that, that was something to me that I, I think we should talk about later too with the gear and everything and like how they acquired VZ-24s and shit like that, you know, German weaponry. But um, yeah, so th- those are my opening thoughts. Again, it's rambly. That's how I am. Just to uh, continue on what Mike said, you know, it's very interesting because of all of the characters in the Chinese Communist Party of the late 30s, Mao is the one that's like least expected to take the reins. And yeah, that the Chinese were fighting each other, the nationalists and the communists a lot in the thirties and everything. And basically Chiang Kai-shek almost kills off Mao. They come very close to eradicating the Chinese communist party when they finally agree to fight together and, you know, to propel the Japanese invasion. And the whole time Mao is using it very smartly to rebuild its organization. So the second the war ends in 45, bam, the civil war is on again. In four years, they take over the country and, you know, they push Chiang Kai-shek onto Taiwan which really isn't part of China, but that's a whole different discussion. Um, so it's very interesting, you know, that like they, yeah, they put their differences aside to wage war against the common enemy. And it's just, you know, crazy. And just to put it all in context too, you know, Japan kind of got involved in a war with Manchuria by accident, and then they kind of couldn't get out of it to the point where the war was so expensive with resources, it was taking up so much from it that they had to start another war so that they could feed the first war to end it. And that second war was the war with the United States, the Pacific War and you know, um, what was it, uh, December 41. So this is the precursor to all of that, so it's very important. A lot of people write off China and all this bullshit, the Sino-Japanese Wars, whatever, but now the Second World War did begin sometime in the late, mid-30s. Um, you know, with all these conflicts starting all around the world. It just really was the West didn't get involved in all this stupid little proxy wars until, you know, they had to. Um, But it is a very interesting thing that the Chinese did fight on the side of uh, the nationalists. And it's crazy shit that happened. They they do talk a lot about it in the movie a little bit, like how all these soldiers got left behind to kind of defend the city on their own. All their leadership kind of left. And, you know, just to kind of put this all into perspective, these Japanese soldiers that were advancing into Nanking had to first off fend for themselves. They really didn't have a lot of supplies. And there's a really good book called Tower of Skulls, which I'll be referencing a little, little bit after this podcast. Uh, it's by Frank, who was it? Um, I was scared of his name. Oh, Richard B. Frank, who's amazing. He's written so many good books about the Pacific. Uh, it's just amazing guys. A Vietnam vet himself, uh, 101st Airborne, 6970, just really amazing historian. Um, I really suggest you, you read his books. But, um, he has one quote from here in this chapter of Nanking where a journalist was talking to a high-ranking officer from the Japanese army in China that was called the Kuangtung Army. And the officer looked at the, um, 
the correspondent and said, to be frank, the ways you and I look at the Chinese are fundamentally different. You seem to think of them as humans, but I see them as pigs. This was the mindset of these Japanese soldiers headed into Nanking and headed into China proper. You know, they really, these were subhumans. These were people to subjugate. These were people that, thank God that our emperor has bestowed the Japanese with the ability to look over God's wandering children, which is they viewed non-Asiatic races or non-Japanese people. So they had this like SS kind of, you know, ethnic thing coming into it. They're really hungry. And all of a sudden they have 300,000 POWs to deal with, with no orders and no, no nothing. So what happens? They start killing everybody. And it's this crazy fucking horrible event that we'll never know the truth about because of all the lies and propaganda of things that have been said about it over the years. But this horrible event happened where tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people died and were raped. And that's what it is. And you get these crazy characters throughout it that like, you know, who would have guessed that the Nazis are the good guys? Like, <laughs> all this crazy <laughs> shit. Like, it's just insane. And throughout all of this, and the ensuing post-war period of, of China's revolutions and ensuing things, you know, this film does cut a really good medium of just trying to tell a story and not just the story of the rape or the story of a city under siege, but really the whole thing, you know, from the very beginning of the film until the very end. A lot end, of moving parts. A lot yeah, of moving parts. You're yep. involved the whole time and from all yep. the different perspectives. And they really do a really good job of just trying to show what happened or what might have happened in a way in the city under siege in, you know, December 37. And uh, it's a great film because of that. They just, they draw a really good line between politics and biases and history and also amazing cinematography. You know, you can compare this film to Assembly, which is another Chinese film that came out around the same time, I think a little later, which is about um, the Battle of the Chosen Reservoir which is different from the one that just came out about the Battle of the Chosen Reservoir, which is like the Battle of Lake something, which is the Chinese name of the battle. Um, Assembly is a piece of shit. It's fucking horrible. It's like they hired fat American actors to look like fat Americans so that they could make fun of them and ridicule them. Like literally, if you want to watch some of the clips <laughs> from it, it's horrible. It's like they're wearing jungle boots and it's just, uh, it's just so bad. And it's just funny to like look at that film, historical Chinese you know, film industry drama, and then this film. And it's like, wow, two totally different fucking productions. And just, it's, it's amazing. So it just really goes to show that you can make good art in totalitarian countries sometimes. You know, like, well, here's the thing is like, I, I wonder how much of this was kind of overblown because they have to have CCP approval. Well, right? I was going to say that there was this movie took two years to shoot. Because and it was a complete hellhole because of the Chinese censors um, were just or just looming over this thing the whole time, and there was a whole bunch of shit that the filmmaker was clashing with, and it was just apparently a just shit show of a production because of that element. Right. Even with that all being said, like we don't know the background of that. Like, but I, I believe you, like one hundred percent. Like, it's still like this product got through the grips of the CCP and was released. That amazes me because again, it's nothing against China. It's just like, it, it seems like it's less propagandistic than most of the Chinese shit 
they're pumping out, and the CCP just like rubber stamps immediately. So it's, what it's you're like, telling me? Sorry, Mike. Yeah. It's like Stalingrad 2013, just clone copied all over the place. Well, the CCP is worse than I think the the Russians yeah. right now. Yeah. Because like, if oh, the yeah. CCP like sees something like the fucking other shit we're talking about, like the just the blatant propagandistic bullshit, where they talking about the fat Americans, whatever. Okay. They'll rubber stamp that immediately because it makes everybody else look bad. Put a clip of assembly, see. Nate. You'll see what I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but so by by Mike saying that there was a lot of clashes back and forth between the CCP and the director and the producers, like that says something to why this film is not super cringe and it's just like rolling your eyes, like okay, whatever. You know, it's like that. That does actually say a lot. So. Yeah, to those who are in the CCP that are listening to this, hey, guess what? When you actually release a film that doesn't look like total propaganda, it actually makes you look better. So I will go on the record saying that. Please, Nate, don't delete that. Because it, it, it's it's the truth. I want to see more Chinese films that are good, but the CCP has got their fucking grubby little fingers and everything, and they always try to over-censor shit. It's like, no, this film... Yes, China was the victim at that point. Japan were the aggressors. I get that. But it doesn't make Japan look like the absolute subhuman pieces of shit they thought the Chinese were. We do have downloads in China. It's uh, good. Yeah, Beijing. Yeah. Well, and obviously, yo, yeah. yeah Hong Kong. I, 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 I don't know how to say his name properly, but uh, the, um, uh, the member who wears the swastika armband... Um, John Rabe, uh, yeah. Rabe or yeah, something John, like that. Yeah, Raba or yeah, Raba yeah, or Raba. something. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was apparently a big thing that uh, the Chinese. Well, it was a real like, dude. Yeah, right. But they yeah. were like they they thought that was a little strange. But um, the, the um, truth. <laughs> I, well, the dude. I mean, the truth is is what people they try to fucking censor. You know? Oh, I know. So, yeah. Well, exactly. Well, yeah, um, I just thing. Yeah. I just try to, and I'd love. Hopefully, there's a book about the it, like Soviet film industry and stuff, because that would be actually honestly interesting to read about. But I can't imagine having another layer of red tape on our set or Eddie's set. Mm. Like, we made a great shot, guys. Good, but the commissar says no, not gonna work. Like, you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, you know, but there, there's, there's, a, there's a week wasted. If it, if it flops, it flops. But like, that's on us. Then it's not on because we were fucking castrated by you fuckers. Like, and so that's why like this film. It's very surprising that it was made this way, and it's got its flaws, which we'll get into. But like. It's got its flaws, but the the fact that it wasn't as egregious, I didn't like want to just sit there and be like, okay, whatever, okay, Chinese propaganda, whatever, Chinese good, they're always overcome, they're the victims, blah, blah, blah. The fact that that didn't happen is very good. So I appreciated the hell out of that. Yeah, the fact that it even got out of China is just a miracle. Because now it wouldn't, I don't think now this would get out. I don't think I don't think this would be able to get out. It wouldn't be made. Well, this, it wouldn't yeah. be made like the CC, this. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like the CCP, they were pretty bad back when this came out. It, They've well, always been bad. It's much different. Well, we can, it's going to get very political very quickly. But you know, no, it doesn't have to be political. I'm just saying, like, as, as it, a macro statement, like they they were still this censorious back. Communist then. parties are loyal to their current leader. And current administ- and certain administrations are more stringent and conservative than others. So since the current administration of Xi Jinping has gotten in there, things have, have changed for the worse. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, she, she Xi Jinping but, is like, 
I, I don't think he's with something yeah. like this. I don't I don't know if he'd be any worse or better. But like it's, anyway, that, I will say it doesn't matter with with certain administrations. You have certain issues that arise, and yes. that's it. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. It's, I can go. You can go very deep into it, but you know certain like like when Brezhnev was in charge in Soviet Union, it was different than you know when uh, Gorbachev was or whatever. It, it kind of was, kind but of like idea. I'll just, I'll just say this. I'll just say this, and then we can just fucking get off the political shit. Is like whenever you have a party. It doesn't matter who's in charge of it, really. It doesn't. It matters to an extent, a little bit, but it really doesn't because the party's going to do what the party wants to do, okay? So Xi Jinping is the face of the Chinese Communist Party and China in general to the world. There's a lot more shit going on in the background, just like when Gorbachev, when, 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 when Brezhnev was in, in the Soviet Union, the communist party still ran everything. They were just kind of a figurehead. Yes, they had some say, but like, you know, whatever, but it's, um, but so to get, to get back to the point that I was making is like, whoever in the communist party, Chinese communist party authorized this. You did, you did, you made a good decision because it's a good film and people want to see things like this. Yeah, no, it, it's awesome, and, but it just you know it just goes to show that you only have a certain period of time to make certain movies, <laughs> and that, yeah, you and know, I, I I think people could try to make it nowadays. I don't think they get like you know disappeared, but well, actually no, since the past couple of years. But like, I, I guess I see what you're saying now. But like, it, it shouldn't be that way. Like, it should be where they go. Okay, it still portrays whatever country that we're in in a good light. Art right? should be free everywhere around the world, but. Then uh, agreed. Agreed. Wouldn't exist, unfortunately. You know. Yep. So. So anyway, getting past that, but like, it's 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 good. I'm glad to see a Chinese film that I don't fucking hate. We'll just put it that way. Yeah, it, it's nice that it's not assembly, or any other myriad of bullshit that you fucking see today with all this crap. Um, yeah, it's just yep. a really good movie, you know. And just to get into the bit of the combat and everything, you know, like uh, that siren though. <laughs> yeah you know, the, the, the hand siren yep. the fucking tank scene and everything like holy shit it shot yep. so well so cool he's got a fucking type 1 Carcano rifle on his back notice the front band uh swept yeah yep <laughs> fun Boy. not inaccurate at all but it's it's fun 91s oh. yep the very first, the very first shot of the film too so there you go yep yeah right yeah, the, like I said, the technical shit, we can get into that, like the helmets and... No, it's just whatever. awesome. Again, from from this first second you watch it, you're like, ooh, this is cool, you know? And it just, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it, um, it's, yeah. Go ahead, Nate. You know? Or Brian. I thought that Nate was talking. Shit. I wasn't looking. You guys sound the same when you're going... <laughs> I like everybody. It's exactly does. the same. Yep. The Japanese uniform is pretty neat. How it's laid out, um, it was very a whole simple. system to it. Yeah, like every nation. It, but no, but like it was very like. Um, besides the putties, mm-hmm. uh, it's very well. Actually, the putties. I don't want to go on a rant about those. They're actually a very effective piece of equipment, and and PCU uniform. But like, um, no, it was a very simplistic uniform, and it was actually pretty. Pretty good, I would say. I'd say uh, the Italians had the 
best like functional gear. I'd say the Japanese had the second most functional gear. Americans third. Um, Germans are going to be down there on the list. I know it's controversial for all the wearaboos. Yeah, but wearaboos. Yeah, but yeah, but when that leather belt breaks apart and or or doesn't work, then your you buckle, lose everything. your buckle loses that little fucking loop yeah. that's welded then on. The whole thing's gone. The whole thing's fucked. Yeah. So yeah, but like, tell the me how I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's both world wars, and also yeah. the American gear sucks. So I'm not going to. I'm not going to fucking. Have the M28 suck, dude. The belts suck. They're canvas. They get any any. Any form of moisture on there, good luck getting your fucking clip out in time. That's I, why they were like, that's I'm why they're say a blanket statement and then not comment on it at all. US World War II gear is the best gear ever made for that time period, and I will not listen to any other arguments because it's stupid and you know you're fucking wrong. Anyway, <laughs> um, that's all I have to say about it. If you, if you think a cartridge belt is bad, then fucking, uh, dude. So I'll give like, this, I'll give this a, um, Haversack sucks, know, but they always a, sucked. Three, uh, I don't know. Uh, what do you What do you think for final scores? What What for the? I'm. I'm oh oh no, oh, okay. oh oh to end to end the movie to end the review right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just to fucking so go just uh, beat the shit out of Brian. Iron Brigade verbally. out. <laughs> M36 field gear and American boots won the war, but you know. Look at this! Look at this! The Nationalists! The Nationalists! Yep, ZB uh, ZB thirty or twenty six. Twenty six. It's and BC twenty fours. Fucking Stahlhammer. Fucking, look at this. I, this is the scene I was talking about where it's like, yeah. I actually had an FN model 1924 made in Belgium and a VZ-24 that fought in this fucking war. I had that years ago. I had to sell them. They were also shot to shit. Is it? Is it the... Uh, when we talked about, I believe it was uh, Midway... You guys had talked about how the Chinese Mauser, or was it the Chinese Mausers, or were they certain types of Mausers that are normal? Like the quality is really, really bad. Well, what, the, which one well you, here's the thing: is the quality is not bad. It's just the fact that they got used well beyond their service life. They did not get service. They did not get rebuilt. So the, in my experience, the Hanyang 1888 Mausers, or not, they're not Mausers. They're commission rifles. They were just used so goddamn much and never fucking... They didn't have proper armorers. Right, they didn't have yeah. proper, like, repairs to do anything. And then they carried that kind of thing through with the uh, FN-24s and the VZ-24s that they got in the 30s with Chiang Kai-shek because he commissioned and he actually paid for a lot of these things to be sent there. That's why they had the Nationalists had the fucking Stahlhelma. They got it from Germany, right? He bought a bunch of those. And they just, they, they maintain them like absolute dog shit. And that is my experience with the, uh, any kind of Chinese used, we call them Chiang Kai-shek used, right? Weapons. And a lot of them also got sent to Vietnam in the Sino-Japanese, or I'm sorry, the Sino-Vietnamese war, both of them. And during the U.S. and like, you know, whatever that Vietnam war, so these fucking guns have been fucking used and abused. They're out of headspace. They're fucking, the bores are completely shot out. They can barely fucking fire. They can barely lob around out. So, but so like pretty much by the time we get them, they've, they've just been through 80 years of use of hard use. Decades yeah. of hard use. Like, I mean, hard use. And yeah, it's like, well, so most of those, most of those rifles ended up in Korea or Vietnam depending on when they were given as aid. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's like, so after, after hard use, they got more hard use. It's, it's basically like saying, okay, I bought a, a fucking 57 Chevy fucking uh, pickup truck. And there's like rims on this bitch. <laughs> there's no tires. And you go, yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's just because they were used up. Well, the rims are fucking stripped. There's no brake pads on this bitch. Yeah, because it was used and it's it's whatever. It's like that's basically the same thing as like, well, it was never maintained. Because the, the Japanese are equipped with, um, you know, the Type 38 rifle, which was pretty like the Type 99, even the long rifle didn't exist at this point. It was in like development and whatever. And <clears throat> the reason they didn't like the Type 38 was not because of the rifle itself. It was because of the caliber. And like they were hitting uh, enemy troops at far distances. And the 6.5 by 50 semi-rimmed wasn't doing a good job, or so they said. Like, that was their view on it. It could have been that they were missing a lot. But, like, they said, oh, it wasn't effective at distance, and we need a harder-hitting round um, like the 303 or the 8mm, like the um, nationalist Chinese were using against them. And then later on, like, the regular Chinese, like the communists that became the regular Chinese. Um, but, like, so that, that was kind of the thing is, like, yeah, like right there, he's, it's a Type 38, right? And that was the whole thing, the whole stink about why do we have to redesign a whole rifle? Well, you don't have to redesign it. You just have to streamline it and make it in a larger caliber. And then that apparently was the end-all, be-all. But then, then later on, because this is 37, right? This is before, I, I'm not saying this to you guys, I'm saying this to our viewers or listeners. This is in 37. This is well before the Japanese were involved in like going against the, um, the Commonwealth and the Americans in the South Pacific. And so that's when that whole kind of thing started to happen. And by the time you get to like, you know, what we view as World War II is you've got a logistical problem now because, oh, all of our machine guns are chambered in this. A lot of our rifles are chambered in this, even though we have these new rifles chambered in 7.7 by 58 rimless. We still have a shitload of six, five ammo. We can't use it with the type 99 and it became a, it became a very big fucking problem. So that's, that's kind of like what we're talking about, like Chiang Kai-shek weapons. Like that's a, it's very interesting. And like, they actually get the weapons pretty freaking right in this film. So the, um, and, and, and every, anyone ch chime up here. Did they have a did they have a problem with like the Italians with you had mentioned about the different calibers and stuff like that? Talking about the weapons, I guess in a sense, is that did they have the problem with the Italians of of being able to give the right ammo to the right thing? Because yes. didn't they like so it's the same problem the Italians had where they had two different calibers yes. and getting ammo to the right guys was a super fucking logistical nightmare. Yeah, again, like I was just saying, is like, so if you got a bunch of guys that have, let's just say in this case, right? So you're reviewing type 38s, right? And you give them a fucking literal ship load of 7.7 .7 by 58 millimeter rimless, it's useless to them. They can't use it in their right. rifles. But, but when did that transition even happen? Was that like, that was what? Brian, was that like 41? Yeah, just about. The type 99 came out. I think in 39 or 41. 38. 38. Was that early? It, it was, but they, they, it wasn't like widely issued, but like it's it's the whole like K98 debate. 
And they were originally they originally were the same length as the Type Thirty Eight, but then they they took off about uh, right. a foot exactly. at the end and made the the Type Ninety Nine short rifles. Um, Correct, but it's the same thing as the, the number four, basically the number four Mark One. It's really hard to say when they get implemented. Um, from memoirs, I know that the first units that they faced on Guadalcanal mostly use, um, and Guadalcanal is a good starting point, at least for the more yep. of the Pacific, because there's not a lot of memoirs for the that existed US. in, for the in US. De- yeah, in detail from like uh, the Philippines. So it's. They had Type 38 to the Philippines, but you know, so the canal is a good starting point anyway for, for, for references. Yep. But I know that from the canal, they talk about the Japanese had Type 38s um, mostly, and then it wasn't until later on in the battle that they said that they started hearing, they sounded like they were shooting Grands, and that mm-hmm. was because they were shooting 7.7 instead of 6.5 because the Type 99s had arrived with units that had arrived like yep. around October mm-hmm. or so, so late 42. Um, what's interesting too is that you know, later on, the Japanese used a ton of captured weapons, and there's this very famous battle called the Battle of Alligator Creek um, that's depicted in the Pacific, and also might be depicted in the future for other productions. But uh, the Japanese unit there was rushed from uh, Rabaul, and they all had SMLEs, thousand Japanese soldiers, all armed with British equipment, because they had still basically stolen it from fucking uh, the Commonwealth nations they had went through, and it was easier to use that in the South Pacific area because the Japanese had a huge shipping problem at this period of time. So very rambly uh, reply. Um, you never really know Japanese units. Sometimes they have captured weapons completely. Sometimes they have foreign or, or you know, domestically produced weapons. Sometimes they have domestically produced weapons of a different caliber. Very rarely you would have mixed units um, that have like 99s and 38s. The Japanese Navy mostly used 38s. Um, it's a real clusterfuck. So yeah, when you get these pockets or groups of units in certain areas and you all have different rifles, you're fucked. Well, also the machine <laughs> yeah. guns, like the machine guns, most of them made, were made to fire six, five, and then they adapted them to fire seven, seven. But it's like, again, that it's the same transition. E- even you know? then there was machine gun ammunition and there was rifle ammunition. You weren't allowed to use your machine gun ammunition and not that you couldn't, but it was high pressure ammunition because it was made for cycling those big Hotchkiss style actions on the, the type ones or the type 99s. It was also semi. So six, five by 50 semi rimmed was the rifle cartridge. Six by 50 rimmed was the machine gun cartridge. And it's like, yeah, you can you can slam that fucker into a Type 38. You can if you try hard enough. But it's like, Jesus, man. <laughs> yeah. So like they, they had a lot of logistical nightmares with their ammunition later on. In 37, they're gonna be using 6.5. Well, well, just think about it. You know, was there ever an American unit that was totally equipped with Mausers because we had a bunch of Mauser ammunition in England? No. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> That's a desperate thing. Yeah. Guys actually trained with the uh, N1917 rifle in England. I, I knew a guy, well, uh, World though. War II vet. Right. But, like, it's still, like, there, even with the U.S. and World War II, there was a logistical nightmare. You got 30-06, okay? You've got 30 carbine. You've got 45 ACP. You know, it's three calibers, right? Yeah. Yeah, but but you don't hear the but yeah, but there's no and I and I know we should get back on the subject a little bit more, but like getting back onto that though, it's like maybe I'm not maybe maybe I just don't read I haven't read up on logistical nightmares because the U.S. did such a good job with logistics for the most part of that. I I think that's that is something that you know I I I just I I don't hear a lot of. That's a real Japanese camera, by the way. 
they made they made a similar version after the war, but that's actually a wartime camera. I will uh, let, let let me I'll I'll pause and let me finish my thought here. So the so the the uh, so like the point is is that I don't really hear many logistical nightmares of the U.S. having problems with supplying guys ammo for long periods of time. Now I know there's always stories of that in little bits, but you don't hear like fiasco. Like it's not like the Italians where they had two, two, only two calibers and they still couldn't even supply half their stuff. Cause they would deliver the wrong ammo to the wrong guy. Well, they had, they had more than two, but like, Oh, was there more than that? They also, they were smart too. And they also went, Hey, this isn't working. It doesn't matter. Like whatever. So we're going to send them all to Finland. They sent as many seven, three, five caliber weapons to Finland as they possibly could with the ammo. Right, so yeah. it would reduce the logistical nightmare. And it's like, okay. the Japanese didn't have that option because they had, they were fighting. Like they were, by the time they got into the shit with the Commonwealth and the U S they were yeah. like, we have to have everything. And it's like, right, yeah, yeah. and also like the shipping down there was, and it was bad for the U S too, but like that, that is, that is also a difference in terms of the Japanese. though, is that no other country other than the U S had Island hopping campaigns. Well, that's so, the thing is yeah. like, yeah, exactly. Yep. The size of the Japanese empire at its Zenith in, you know, the August 6th, 1942, the day before the invasion of Guadalcanal was one seventh, the circumference of the globe. It had it, in their domain, they had over 550 million people under their rule. The Germans at their height had like 390 million. It was it was bigger than the fucking Third Reich. It was one-seventh of the world. And that's why the U.S. submarine fleet did a really fucking great job of winning the war for the United <laughs> States. <laughs> no, literally, because here's the thing. You is like Germany. two oh. ships and they're fucked. And that's what happened. Yeah. Literally, they, that happened. Yeah, no, that is what happened because Germany, a lot of their shit... That logistical nightmare, self-created aside, it was all in pretty much one continent or like we have to hop a little bit over water and get it. The Japanese extended so fucking far, took over so much land so quick, but they had to have the best Navy in the fucking world and the best merchant Marines in the world, and they didn't. And that's literally why like, they ended up failing, but like she also blamed the U.S. and the Great Britain for that with the night with the Washington Conference, which is funny. <laughs> In a way, helped us with the war. But so, Brian and Michael, this fucking camera, also the correspondence, like what he's doing is getting in this guy's face, just showing a fucking Japanese soldier for back home. Je- so now that I know a bit more about this, because I'm working on a documentary about combat correspondence in the Pacific, and I've done a bit of research in the Japanese combat correspondence and cameramen. There's not a lot of them out there, actually. And the ones that did survive the war somehow, they actually became the Japanese film industry after the war. So it's very interesting, the ones that like did go through. Like The guy that shot Godzilla was like in Burma for the whole war. Um, yeah, well, that... Sorry, I don't mean it, but like, no Godzilla is a metaphor for World War II. Yeah, yeah. When you watch the original Gojira... Have you ever seen the original Gojira? A long time ago, but... Yeah, I mean, it is... I know you're saying yeah, the right name. Um, <laughs> South Park has ruined it for me, but yeah. Oh, no. I'm yeah. sorry. But, um, yeah. um, but no, it's when you watch, like, when you watch Gojira, uh, which I, maybe it was, like, 49 or It was early or 50s, like that. I think. Yeah, yeah, early 50s. And it's, like, it's almost, like, tearful how, like, 
to, to watch it because it is so it is it is such a metaphor for the war and all that and for you know the um, the a bombs and all that stuff but uh but th- that makes perfect sense because that movie when you watch it it's it's funny to say that about like something that's become just this monster movie franchise because when mm-hmm. you watch it like the way that that director films the destruction of Godzilla it's like really tragic it's not uh it, it's not done in a like action movie type way it's done in a very tragic way and i i really you know uh recommend anyone who's interested in you know more of like the japanese side of the war to watch gojira because it's a lot of the feelings of the war are in there i'll definitely take a look at it it's you know you have that post-war feeling that you just can't get rid of it's gonna Mm -hmm. seep into every bit of life and all of the Japanese films, let's extrapolate a little more, that were made after the war, about the war, are fucking horribly depressing and insane. Um, mm-hmm. Like, oh, fucking, what is it? Uh, the Fields of... Oh, I got... My buddy just bought the DVD. I gotta look it up again. But, like, the there's a really good one from the 60s or 70s called, like, Fires in the Plane. That's what it is. Okay. And it's... Uh, <laughs> I was like, you weren't gonna say Grave of the Fireflies, are no, you? No, fuck it. no, fuck it. Yeah, which is another crazy film. Um, yeah, but uh, fires in the plane. It's about these Japanese soldiers on Luzon trying to survive during the invasion of the Philippines. And long story short, it ends up with they're they're killing each other to you know eat. And uh, this guy's hunting other Japanese soldiers, and he tells his friend, "Oh, don't worry, it's monkey meat." You know, and it's like this fucking insane, like, "Oh my god, you're you're watching each these guys who in the beginning of the film were talking and laughing are now hunting each other to eat each other because they're starving to death." Like fucking a. But like they all have this like crazy that kind of like well we just live through this shit that we kind of brought upon ourselves but you know this horrible experience that holy fuck and um, you just get that you know crazy very to the point style of filmmaking it's like the whole country came so close to dying or starving or whatever that you get these very hard people that after the war just you know they want to tell something and that's with all Japanese cinema like even the Kurosawa films and stuff fucking amazing you know just like it's their stories like fucking we're here we'll tell you you know and it's your face and it's vivid and it's this post-war japanese cinema is really cool but uh to bring it back to the combat correspondence and stuff it's crazy the japs had a lot of correspondence the japanese had a lot of uh, correspondence in china and stuff and um they even had a, a reporter for a women's magazine who was there at nanking <laughs> so like you know interesting yeah it, it's very insane but they did make newsreels, mostly for the army and everything, and they shot with little cameras like this in film. It's like an eight millimeter or sixteen mil. Um, but mostly the it's Japanese newsreels. That thing's fucking tiny. It depends. Well, you can get small reels back then. But um, what do you call it? Uh, I used to have a camera that was just like that, and to where that center, you could yeah. pull that out and flip the lens. Yeah. Yep. What what model is that, Brian? I think do it's. You know? I'd have to look. There's one for sale on eBay right now. I'll I'll get it. But um. They usually used IMOs, too, if people know what that are. That was a very popular movie camera back then, 35-millimeter format. Um, you see a lot of Japanese soldiers with IMOs. And then they also used Canon cameras, which were actually copies of Leicas, direct copies of Leicas, oh, wow. Canon S2s. What's interesting, too, is that you know this movie, for the short scenes you do have combat, it's great because it's like transitional. It's not like fully automatics, and it's not fully vault actions. So you get a little bit of each, so it's it's nice to see. And you just get a bit of the combat. Again, Nathan said earlier, like, oh, there's a bit of wall scaling and bullshit. Whatever, it's, you gotta, you know, you gotta only cater happens to like the twice. action crowd. And, I, yeah. and, 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 and to be fair, you don't, most Chinese movies have a whole lot more than that. And Nate, that's a and maxim. So that, huh? Is that, wait, what? That's a maxim. Is that a maxim yeah. in there? No, it's not. 
I'm pretty sure. For the water cool and everything? Hold on. I can't. Yeah, every water cool machine gun is a fucking Oh, that is a max. No, that's, that's an 08 max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I obviously uh, don't know nearly jack shit about IJA stuff, but one thing that's interesting to see in this is when like shit starts to go bad, they uh, have this like portable alarm that they... They twist, yeah. Like I've yeah. never seen that before. The, air, the little portable air raid sirens. They didn't have yeah. radios, yeah. And that was a way of communicating. And you know, mm. one or two, whatever. But a long continuous. We're in fucking trouble. Come help us. You know, that was a yeah. right. Because I know, like the like the ones in England, like they're, they're also you crank a lever to do those ones, and they're but they're yeah. Huge, those are the know, air raid sirens. Yeah. I've never seen little. These ones are for like communicate. Yeah. These are communication sirens. They have nothing else mm-hmm. to do except for just communicate with the platoons or, or regiments or whatever. Um, radios were expensive. You know, we look at it through this World War II style of just like, you grab the hand mic and you're going to call on a battleship. Like, no, you're fucking, you're from Uganda. You don't have that or whatever. You know, like, so you got to yeah. have other ways to be able to communicate. Um, and that was one of them. Like, for example, in the Russian military, they had transmitters and receivers. So if you were high up in the chain, you had a transmitter and a receiver. Or if you were lower in the chain, you had a receiver. So you were given orders and you couldn't talk back. You know, that was also cheaper to do that as well. It wasn't just, you know, communist bullshit. But there's a lot of ways that armies used to figure out how, to, like, signal flags and that kind of stuff. That was really prevalent up until, you know, mid-30s and shit, like, for signaling and things. And so that was just the Japanese way of doing it, just using an audio cue. So mm-hmm. and it's cool as fuck, too, when the guy runs to the city and everything. And, you know, it's like, oh. Yeah. One of the guys gets shot before he can really do it. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, and he's dead. Good scene of adding tension and stuff, but no, it's just they didn't have radios, and that's the cheapest way to communicate. The bugles were used a lot too. Yeah, I see that with Japanese most of the time. They had two versions of bugles at this time period. Don't ask me how I know that. Please don't. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? I said they had two versions of the Japanese army bugle at this point. Oh, don't but ask why you I, know that. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't ask. I, I don't ask. I unfortunately know it. I went down a rabbit hole this year. <sighs> What I really like is the kid pulling out the uh, the max the, the ammo off the maxim belt too. But also also mm-hmm. like they're going my gun's fucked right, mm-hmm. and like give me a different rifle and like they have this basket of rifles, and it's like because yeah. yeah that that definitely like if it's jammed or if it's fucking hot or whatever, they they would have had these rifles. That's the thing is like that's what they've been using eight millimeter, mm-hmm. or for you for you nerds listening look. Eight millimeter is not a thing. That's a U.S. designation. Seven point nine two by fifty-seven millimeter. I just drooled on myself. <laughs> I didn't swallow before I said. Seven point nine two by fifty-seven millimeter. Jesus, I feel like it's a fucking just, child. But like whatever. It's just so refreshing to have combat where it's not like people dumping mags and not hitting anything. Yeah. You know? Right. These are great sets. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, the, so well. the cinematography. Of the I'm sets, blown away. This movie yeah, only yeah. cost twelve million. By the way. Well, it's trying. Really? <laughs> yeah, twelve million bucks was the budget. Jesus Christ, that's awesome. Yeah. Can we can, can we talk about the helmets really quick? The puto. Yeah. The, yeah. Okay. Pause it. Pause it. Pause <laughs> I'll it. go back. I'll go no, back. Go back. I'll go back. Five seconds. Uh, nice rubber rubber waffle right. there. Footwear you know. is the hardest <laughs> thing to source in film. Oh fuck yes, it is. I was just gonna say, if I'm the director of this, I'm gonna you know take that guy's leg. And kind of like, you know, just, move just it out push of the it way. Like this. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, I, like... I, I was on set with you, Michael. You're going to grab an axe. You're going to say, hold the fucking thigh and then just chop it off. Hold this then, thigh you know, down. You know, people can live without two feet. I'm not going to have yes. rubber hiking boots in my movie. Right. Exactly. And so um... the helmets, okay. A lot of these are Type 90 helmet shells. 
Okay. And also, they used a shitload of civil defense helmets, like the the lighter weight or the fiberglass ones that the Japanese made. Those boots, Vibram soles, not good. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I just yeah, I'm like. But dude, you know what? I mean, it's, but it's... you know what? If undersole of the shoe is the only blaring thing. <laughs> Well, but dude, like, just fucking come on, like. That's just, what I mean. Move that leg out of the way. Don't. Or yeah. just don't. Oh my god. Yeah, exactly. Like, just move it. He well, people just don't think that the there's going to be four dudes on the other side of the world going to be looking at it, freeze framing, going, "Oh, what fucking farms are using rubber?" Well, he, you know. They should think that. You know what happened? That was the B camera team's thing to shoot. They made a list <laughs> of stuff to do that day, and it wasn't principal yeah. characters. And like, okay, we got the shot. Lunch is in twenty minutes, guys. In terms of like, yeah, accuracy, that's what we're talking about. But like, in terms of just sh- as a shot, it's a great shot. Well, it so is like, a great oh, shot. I mean, this thing is like, yeah, definitely somebody fucked up, but it's so forgivable. <laughs> it's so forgivable. That's the yeah. thing is like, I can forgive that because nobody in their right mind except us fucking nerds mm-hmm. are going to fucking see that. But we did mm-hmm. see it and we're going to point it out. So, <laughs> can I, can I ask though, would footwear, uh, and around this time, would these be like hobnails? What kind of boots? Uh, what they would just have would like be? leather boots with leather soles. So just smooth leather, like Japanese would have hobnails. Japanese boots are strange. They had boots, and they also had those. I don't know. They have a special name, but they have like the toe, the, the fingered ones that they see that apparently were better for climbing trees. Um, hmm. yeah. yeah, they had a lot of different crazy footwear. The ones that have the individual toes do not have any hobnails or anything in them. Um, yeah, and the mo- most of the Japanese did. footwear that I've seen, they don't have hobnails either. They just are smooth. They're very, it's, yeah, it's very okay. similar to low boots, but worse. So. Yeah, and like they, they, you know, once they get worn and shit, you get some nice, nice. Okay, so really quick, pause this really quick. This is one thing I wanted to bring up. This is a technical fuck up because... That's a Maxim belt, right? That's 76254, okay? Because you can see the rims on the cartridges. And he's giving it to him who's got a, we'll just say a 24 model Mauser rifle. I don't know if it's an FN or a VZ. They are different. The FN is an intermediate length action rifle, 98, 98 action. And the VZ is a full length. Now, yeah, you see the rims? Yep. So that's a 76254. And he's feeding those rounds into a fucking 7.92 by 57 millimeter rifle. Not good, but again, <laughs> very for fucking forgivable. Yeah. Very forgivable. It was, yeah, it yep. was written in the script and uh, they just did This is a good scene where they're bringing up done. rifles to them because, again, like I was saying, those things fuck up in combat. Like they break and they don't have extra mm-hmm. parts. They don't have an armor or they don't have anybody. So if you yeah, give one just... guy two or three rifles, to just do as much damage as possible and bring those rifles, you know, with you. It's got the dust cover on those too. Mm. Does anybody dust know about the vehicles? Oh, uh, the vehicles, that's a um that's a type fucking Hago um, ninety five, motherfucker. Hago ninety five, yep, yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know where you go, but please, I go please. to Hago. <laughs> that's the, ja- the Japanese They're- have great tank names isn't there like some kind of yeah, armored Dutch. car too yeah there was yeah an there is car in it as well. but wait a second brian you just said japanese had great tanks 
naming tanks. No, like great name. tank names. Tank, tank names. Tank names. Okay, yes. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. I was no, just going to no. say, yeah, no, we're in that, Sherman, that was about to fucking get me into a fucking tirade the Sherman, of, no, dude, you're wrong. But like, I've actually like, been in Japanese tanks, by the way. I've been one, <laughs> like the one that's left. But um, yeah. what do you call it? It's really small, who would have guessed? Um, Weird. They had, yeah. Uh, yeah, horrible tanks. The Sherman was the Tiger of the Pacific. This, literally. okay, really quick, I'm sorry to interrupt you. That really quick, this assault scene was actually really fucking good. Because, yes, they weren't, like, overextending, like, doing these fucking throws like we saw in the fucking Hurt Locker and shit and, like, uh, uh, Black Hawk Down. They would go, all right, we're just going to chuck grenades into these fucking windows that's, like, 10 yards away. Easy fucking throw. And then right after those explode, we've got the fucking ladders going up to that. That's a hell of an assault, and that's a fucking good, well-executed assault. So they're using bamboo ladders. This is where I call bullshit. So watch this. Okay. Bam, bam, mortars, bam, bam. I don't give a fuck what fucking millimeter they are. Mortars. The whole point of them is they go up really high and they come down and they blow up. Now, those are probably, I don't even know what the fuck those are. They're not knee mortars. They're like probably fucking, I don't know. A mortar takes a long time from when you hear the thunk and it goes out of the fucking tube. Those are 60s. Cool. They're 60s. Whatever the fuck. <laughs> they can be 60s. They can be fucking 40s. I don't give a fuck. They can be 81s. They can be fucking whatever. Those are American 60s. How the fuck did the... Well, never mind. Hey, you know what? I, mortars, no one ever gets mortars right. So I, was, I was just going to ask how the Chinese got those and I'm just like, never mind. <laughs> Korea. The Korean War. Whoops. Um, so, okay. But either way, a fucking mortar, no movie, no film gets this right. I've never seen a fucking film get this right. Like it's a long fucking time and every fucking movie for the sake of like, we don't want to bore the audience. Yeah. Right there. It's (laughs) It's instant. It's like, no, they haven't even, they haven't even reached the peak of the arc yet. Dude, (laughs) even a recordless fucking rifle, AKA a bazooka. For you fucking normies out there, yeah, that would still be really quick for a fucking recoilless rifle or a bazooka. But like for the sake of the film, they have to do this, and they do it in every film. It's not just this one; it's fucking whatever. I just, I just think, I just think it's that this the lack of knowledge. Because like, if I were gonna do the scene, I mean, I could ease. I think we could easily build some. Some either some tension or something by having that pause in there after the mortars go off. Cut to some shots of guys waiting for the explosions to happen. I know? think people interpret mortars as they used as as like the replacement for cannons in film. And yeah, I and I and I exactly. and I think that's where the we must show them shoot and then also show it land at when they shoot. Immediately. Yep. You know, and so I think it's that kind of misunderstanding of treating it like Civil War cannons, where it's like the shoot then someone immediately gets, you know, turns into a bo- uh, the bowling ball, knocks all the pins, aka ripping all the legs off, like in the Patriot. Like it's like that yep. immediate gratification of, you know, the bouncing and the explosion and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's yeah. where people get that misconception in Hollywood and or in film, where they just don't understand how these things work. Just, 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 just I'm not real fast. Also, when mortars and movies when they go off, that also just as like most guns, you know, when it comes to recoil, does not capture that like initial thump of when it goes off mm-hmm. um because like i've been around them when i was working for them when they would do that i was shocked at how like just like 
bam when, that, when it goes off. Yep. Yeah, how forceful it is. And just like feeling that go through your chest and seeing this the dust kick up around it. And I was yep. just like, whoa, that is intense. Movies just make it seem like a pop and then it like, you know, hits. Yeah. But like it's it's a fucking explosion. It, it definitely is. And it's a it's a weird one. Um yeah. So we should definitely talk about how they portrayed the raping, pillaging, and just the mistreatment of the people in Nanking. I think it rivals Schindler's List of clearing the ghettos. I think it rivals yeah. the, the rivals that atrocity pretty damn well. I've seen photos of that actually, where they would it's like people's heads hanging from trees yep. and stuff like that. And that that thing is like, there's a reason it's very popular, and it's I mean not popular, but like it's very well known. I'll I'll say that very it's infamous. Go Brian. So much has been said, like, I think I talked to this this earlier. So much has been said and, you know, whatever about the Nanking Massacre that it's really hard to say what is absolute truth and what is absolute fiction. Yes, there are tons of stories and documented stories about the the sword cutting competitions, the two guys that, you know, bet each other who could cut off 100 heads first, all that kind of stuff and and things. Um, There's other stories about this one guy, um... He told his officer, I can cut off 20 heads, and he only cut off nine, but his officer was like, it's okay, you, you, the effort's for it. Tons of them. Unfortunately, it just there's so much propaganda and bullshit and, and things that have come out, we'll never know the real extent to the horror of it. But what we do know is that, to some degree, these all these things did occur, and it's horrible, and that at most, up to 300,000 people were killed, or raped, or, yeah. or massacred in, this in a very short time. amount of time. Yeah, short. so yep. it's just good to hedge the bets. And I'm not saying that you know, all of it's lies. Not not true at all. Oh my god! Right, but it's just, it just how 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 did it actually happen versus what is it portrayed or how is it portrayed rather in this film? You know, my grandmother lived through the Russian occupation, and yes, rapes happened all the time. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. I have I have tons of books I'll give you that will talk about the rapes. But you know what happened more? The fucking soldiers murdering children because their their kids were murdered or their brothers or sisters were murdered. But you never see that at all depicted in any of the talking about the Russians, you know, in Eastern Europe. It's all about, oh, they raped everybody, and it's so bad, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you're missing half the story. You know, so it's well, just like just You're justifying yeah. the shitty actions. It's like, you're no. not justifying <laughs> it. You're explaining a reason of why a human being can be compelled to get to that point in their life where they just don't... It's just all about revenge at that point. You know, they're, they're numb. Yeah. Yeah, like the quote with, like, you view these people as humans, I view them as pigs. Right. You know? Michael, you were going to say something? I would tell you, in terms of talking about children and things like that, the part of this movie that just really stick has just stuck with me ever since I first saw it is when the the guy opens the window and he just casually just picks up the guy's oh, child yeah. and just yeah and drops it out the window. And for the 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 fact that the director didn't show him fall and hit the ground is what made it powerful to me. It's just that. The parents knowing what happened, you and, know? and then the reaction just, too, like right, just they just, they cannot believe it. He's just, what do you do in that situation? Like, I mean, like that—that's yeah, the just, ultimate like brain damage situation. Like, yeah, I mean, he's just obviously he's you know he he's just completely you know torn to pieces, but at the same time he's just like in shock that it just happened like that. And well, right, and like and like yeah. what what can I do? I can't. It's not like a dude just randomly walked into my house and did that, and I can't just go and kill him. It's mm-hmm. like, what you, you know, it's just all those emotions going through his head. It's just like, 
But he, I think he, I think he actually did that. Can you uh, actually go to the? Oh, well, we'll talk about this too as well. Like one, the scene yeah. where just yeah. something to touch on what you said, Michael. So again, I've always been a fan of the human condition and, and learning about it and stuff. And uh, there's the internet's not as free as it used to be. But back in the day, you used to be able to find footage of anything so much easily, easier, like live leak and stuff. And so I spent a lot of years just trolling the internet looking for fascinating footage. And it's horrible, but some of the best footage of shock and awe and grief that had ever been filmed were filmed on 9-11. And it wasn't from the burning towers. It was from there was these filmmakers that were downtown Manhattan. And one guy fucking, he just walked in front of the crowds and filmed everybody. And there's this great bit of footage. Not great. It's horrible. But... It's just people doing their jobs and lives, and they're watching people jump from the towers. And you could just see on their face they're trying to compute what this reality is. What what they can't do anything about it, and they can't process it. And like you're you're watching someone, you're watching a, a traumatic moment be created, and it's horrible, but it's also fascinating because like here's a camera in front of somebody experiencing something like. Your ramp just dropped on your Higgins boat in Omaha Beach. Now you're seeing everybody die. What are you going to do? Or like things like that, like their history. So, you know, you got to think about that. Like, what are you going through? And that scene, I totally agree, just gets that because it's just what just happened. Something happened. You don't need to see the result. You know the result. That, that's, that's, your brain has already come to that conclusion. But it's just the fact of like you witnessing something and the processing that. And it's like, holy shit. You know, you, it's in front of you, it's real, it's tangible. You really wanted to, you could go touch the bodies, but you, you can't, you know, yeah. it's that honestly, but, yeah. and it's, it's the way he did it too. Mm-hmm. And the, I'm talking about the director when I say he, um, I mean, if you had cut to the outside and shown him falling or what, and, or, or uh, and shown, you know, slow motion or whatever like that, it would have completely sucked it out for me. But, um, it's just the fact she's out, Yeah, she's out, it yeah. was his daughter by the way. And like his daughter, she's yeah. out and you hear the splat, you hear the fucking impact. Yeah. And then he's just like, uh. right. And the guy does it almost like with a smile on his face, like I know what's gonna get to you. you yeah, like exactly. It's a vindictive Jesus kind of Christ. thing. Yeah, and it's like, what the fuck did this guy do to you? Oh, I'm gonna prove yeah. to you that I'm in power. But it's like, you literally just killed a human being, a child, which is even more egregious. And then yeah. this guy's gonna sit there. He can't do a fucking thing, and you know that. And that is mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that that scene was like, I'm just like fucking christ like yeah that was very i mean when i say well done i mean well shot like well portrayed because you know that shit has happened to real people and it's like and the actor who plays the dad he fucking he had real emotions like you could tell like i don't i don't know if they actually told him about that like i have to go and like research like you probably can't but like i don't know if they actually told him that they were gonna throw his daughter in the film out of a fucking window and she's going to fall to her death. Like his reaction. Yeah. It, it was so genuine it's visceral as shit. It's, mm-hmm. it's like fucking insane. And then this, so Nate, why I told you to pause is like, they push all the guys into the sea. I think a lot of people's, a lot of people's fear. And I have it too. Is being buried alive. These people are bound. Their hands are bound. They've got legs, but if they stand up, it's they're just getting kicked back down. They're getting buried alive. How fucking terrifying and miserable is that? That's got to be one of the worst fucking ways to go. I mean, 
Because you suffocate you're completely death. helpless. Yeah. Like, yeah. you can't try to get out or anything. <clears throat> and they show that, and I'm just like, yeah, this is fucking insane. And, again, it could be propaganda, but it's probably what happened because people are capable of extremely evil shit like this. I've seen footage of people doing that where they're yes. burying them and alive. it's like people think oh we're, we're so advanced we're, you know we've come so far it's like yeah technology wise sure but people are still people for mm-hmm. sure i think this is a good time to come back to uh tower of skulls with another line having been left by their superiors without legal injunction to treat prisoners humanely and without a means to deal with masses of captives and fearful that freed Chinese prisoners would take up arms against Japanese officers and men, um, they began slaughtering any Chinese soldier of military age in uniform or not. Once this process began largely spontaneously or at least without explicit coordinated command from the most senior levels, this phenomenon of gekukujo, literally the top deferring to the bottom, then propelled the process. Kikukujo, and this happens a lot in the Second World War, the Battle of Alligator Creek, the Battle of Marco Polo Bridge, is a practice by, uh, yeah, so the bottom from the top. Senior officers abdicated command and control to the subordinates. It is uh, revealing in this regard that the post-war hostilities war crimes trials dismissed charges based on, uh, basically, they used this to say that the Japanese officers weren't um, liable for the crimes because they let their officers decide what to do. So it's like, oh, you let your subaltern decide to kill. Diffusion of responsibility to the yeah. nth degree. Yep. But yep. it's they had all these guys and they thought that they were going to pick up arms against them and nobody gave them any means to do anything and they're, pi- they're fucking pigs. So just murder them all. And in fun ways. I mean, you know, what the fuck? Yeah, you're going to get, get tired get creative, of chopping people's you know? heads off. You're going to... It's disgusting. It's like... It's like literally, here's 300,000 rats in your opinion to go deal with them. It's like, how would most people deal with that? Right, and they, they just they just try to bite us. They yeah, just try to yeah. bite us, so and, we're going to go And they killed force. half your friends in the last six months. Because right. the campaign between Shanghai and Nanking was really bad. The Japanese lost a lot of soldiers. So these guys were stuck over the winter in Nanking, and they were pissed off. You know, again, it's like when you look at My Lie, it's like My Lie didn't just happen. There was a lot that led to it, you know, like everything. And it doesn't justify anything. But no, like, and so you know. why I told Nate to pause on this is because we're uh, for those of you that are listening, I'm sorry, we're looking at a screenshot from the film. It's at 45 minutes, 45 seconds in, and it's that beach completely fucking filled with bodies, completely saturated. It's a, it literally is a sea of bodies. You there's just you barely see the ground. It's whatever, and it's like. This shit didn't just happen here. It happened fucking everywhere. And it still happens today. And it's like, it's fucking insane. And so, also, this is... Nate, does this look like CGI to you? Um, yeah, it's composited CGI. So it's... it's. But it's, I'm looking for patterns of, like, you know, the same bodies and shit, just smaller. So right here, there's a line right there in the break. Okay. Uh-huh, I see right it. Right there, there's a line in the break. Right there, there's a line in the break. Right there is a line in the break. So it's, it's a bunch of probably quadrants, and they probably duplicated everyone and or rotated them and turned them and or took, like, you know, four iterations of it and then stitched them okay. together. It's still very impressive, still very jaw-dropping. Being fake or not, it's still very well done. Yeah, because, like, yeah. it fooled me. Like, I, I, I would have, you know, I knew there was CGI, obviously. I know that, but, like, it's it, it looks... It's a great composite shot, yeah. So yeah, it looks yeah. like it looks like a fucking sea of bodies, which like because like right here, right here yeah. is also the the 
that would also be like you know your 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 stage your stage painting. I use quotation marks. It's that's where yeah. the CG is fully CG, but this is composited all the way through, most likely. Um, in that's, different, but yeah, probably probably 40, 30 or forty people clone get up, line the position. We'll take another. You know, that must video. have taken a fucking you, a couple yeah. days. Like, yeah, it's so, fucking insane. Do you know how many Chinese um, civilians and military personnel were killed during the war? No, I don't. Twenty million. Hmm. Just behind Russia. So you know, it, it's it's interesting when it comes to all of the numbers of people who died and massacred and things like that. And but then when you see it in person, like a like an image like that, just like think of how precious losing just one life is. Yeah. And then you see that, it's just I don't know for your, some reason your, your that always out, like your brain turns off at a certain point. You're like, yeah. You, you physically and mentally cannot comprehend mm-hmm. that many people that were killed. You can't right. do it. Like no no person can. I don't think anybody can comprehend like what that looks like. If I, when I try to, it, it really fucks with me. Yeah, it boggles your mind because it's like you just, and it's like, it's fucking insane. And it's overload at some point. It's like you just can't fathom it. You know, and that's right. like when you, when you really dig into like Nagasaki or Hiroshima and all the real amount of suffering and pain and everything. It's like, mm-hmm. fuck. And it just, there's like, a point where like, you're just black. You know, and it's like, I just don't care anymore. I don't want to see any more of the outlines, people etched into the fucking asphalt. I don't want to see. I hear right. stories about people's organs you, you turning can't. inside out. Like you, like, you just, yeah. your brain can't do it. Like, and it's, it's. I fault nobody for not mechanism. being able to comprehend that. I, I fault nobody because, yeah, like you said, it's. Well, it's not only a defense mechanism. It's like we're not equipped. We're equipped to handle like. Five hundred people were killed in this battlefield. Oh my god, oh my god, that's so fucking insane. I knew about twenty of those people. You know, that's how it's been historically for humans that we know of. Right, in recorded history, and it's like, oh my god, twenty million? It's, there's no fucking way that you can you can you can mentally comprehend that. We're not made to be able to. And it's like, yeah, we can comprehend the number, but it's like, it's just it's just fucking insane. And like, I I I have a question, and I know we're not experts on IJA. I know we know all of us together probably know enough, but that guy, the sergeant's like. He's not a sergeant. He's a first or he's a second lieutenant. Second lieutenant guy. The yep. the the jacket. It just looks like a hoodie to me. Is that real? I think it's an officer's coat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's what's well, a great coat, and yeah, I from what I know. Yeah. They had those. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was just curious. Just, it looks like a hipster hoodie right now. So I they had some curious. awesome winter gear. Okay. The Japanese. They they, they and did and like yeah they just didn't use it in the South Pacific. But of next course, time like, we didn't work out this time. But next time we're gonna have a Japanese expert on a good buddy yeah. of mine. Cool. He's also a uh, just graduated from the U.S. Air Force Academy. So instead of to his fighter command. Excellent. But uh, he's a cool dude, and we'll have him on here. So we're gonna be doing Sands of Iwo Jima before long or not Sands of Iwo Jima um, Letters of Iwo Jima before long so we'll get we'll dive oh, deep into nice, Japanese yeah. kit and everything I haven't seen that in a while yeah but to answer your to come back to answer your question I don't know but they had some really cool winter gear and I definitely have seen stuff like that before I know it's very foreign for that time period to have a hoodie on a uniform yeah I, I just saw that I was just like that looks cool and I know that's probably correct I was just Look curious up Atu and Kiska they had some really cool winter stuff. They even had their own special winter site that had its own special bars on it, mm-hmm. so you can lift it off. If you ever find Arasaka with these two metal tabs on the rear site, it's worth like 16 times more than a regular Arasaka because <laughs> it was actually at Atu or Kiska. Oh, really? You could find them. Okay. Yeah. 
their their winter stuff. I will they also s- had other. Crazy I will things, say, but... um, this character though the 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 second lieutenant you said, you really I, it's weird. It's like he has this this skin this personality all throughout the film, but it's this point where he starts seeing a human being underneath a little yeah, bit more. It starts bothering him. Yeah, it starts bothering him. Yeah, and. It's, yeah, it's, because it's interesting. This guy is so stoic, and then yeah. it starts really fuck. I don't know if it's a second lieutenant. He might be a fucking. I thought he was a sergeant, but I that could well, be he, wrong. Sergeant wouldn't have the the bars. Okay, on there. they wouldn't have the stripes. I I have to go back and look. So maybe he's not a second lieutenant. Maybe he's higher ranked than that. But like, who knows? Um, but yeah, this guy that they act, and they end up executing. Spoilers in the intro. You should have known that. Um. It's really fucked up because, yeah, then he starts going, okay. Um, yeah. He turns around because he doesn't yep. want to see it. Yeah, he can't He can't see it. That's the thing is he can't. But it's like but it's like he's been doing all this stuff that's been horrific and brutal and awful. But it's this one that gets to him. Yep. And, In the end, you know, we're all infected by our own madness. You know, it just, I mean, eventually it's just one thing that just... You know, this is very. This is where this is where the old style filmmaking is split with the new style filmmaking. You know, he's just continuously in the shot, though. Yep. Mm-hmm. And now he's in focus. Well, no, that reminds me actually of the the really great shot I loved from uh, the the uh, what is it? That's what I was gonna say. Oh. The Grand Illusion. Yeah, the Grand Illusion. That's, that's yeah, what I'm saying. It's, keep the, fo- it's the old yeah. style filmmaking. But look, the, the focus style. comes back to him now. No, I know. It it yeah. bled. It, it did the same thing. Said. It, it's it's that's yep. what I'm trying to say is that it's the same type of shots that we were seeing in Grand Illusion all that kind of stuff. That's what I'm trying to say. I probably didn't say it clear enough, but yeah, no, that you, was, you that did. Was. You did. Brian just getting distracted. <laughs> um, uh, it's all good though. We, we all do fucking do that. Um, there's one more thing to talk about. Let me yes, go, to go for it. Yeah, sure. The victory parade. Oh fuck! Uh, right, oh. right, <laughs> right. Duh. Yeah. Yep. Dude, dude, that, dude, that, that. If I remember correctly, I think when we did this the first time, I think that was the first time that had ever been taken place since World War II. Oh, really? I thought I had read that somewhere, that that was the largest type of like ceremony like that, with IJA, obviously, gear and everything like that, since World War II. Like, that's... I, oh, I, like the guess I, I shouldn't that? be surprised. Like actually yeah. doing it with all the stuff, with all... Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. So with because all because the, it's been forbidden, because, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and so, so them as actors doing that, that right was the largest one that has happened since I World War II? I believe so. I thought I had read that that was the first time that this ceremony had been kind of back. Yeah, because we make fun of this sometimes, but like now that I've seen it again, I'm like... Oh, well, that dude, it's, it's super powerful. Like, I was just going to say powerful, yes. I, exactly. I, loved, yep. I loved it the first time I watched it. That was the most impressive scene of the whole movie, and I still think that. It's just it's power it's 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 powerful but it's it's powerful in a different level of because it, it even though it's supposed to show it's the victory parade quotation marks it it does it has a different feeling and I can't describe it but I don't feel I don't feel victory I don't feel all that stuff like I don't feel like the power that it probably should be pulling I feel like something else and I don't know well, how to describe it, but it's a, it's how, a different emotion. I mean, it, it can feel different ways. I mean, it, it, there's no right answer at all. It's just how it makes anyone feel. But yeah. in terms of me, how it makes me feel, it was like almost almost as if like this is the, um, I don't want to say preparation, but like gearing up for 
the shit that's yet to come with yep. the United States and all that, you know. And I just I, that's how that's what it felt like to me. It was like this is the the official like beginning of this horrible downfall that they're going to go down. That, that's a really good way to put it. You know, um, I read a lot. I try to read a book a week. I don't always get it, but I I probably read twenty. 25 books on the Pacific War since we did this last review. And the biggest thing I've really learned is that Japan was the only country that had a god when it went into World War II. They they viewed themselves as, you know, divine beings from listening to a, a deity that talks to God, you know, essentially, the Hirohito, the emperor. And it's just fascinating. They're just they're so futile. Even 80 years after, you know, Commodore Perry shows up and they open the country, you know, it's Japan in the Second World War is this crazy amalgamation of traditional ancient ideas and modern things. They're really not out of their nation building yet, you know, and one can even argue that today they're not even there yet. You know, it's only been 150, 160 years since they really opened up their country. I think so, I think they're pretty close. Oh yeah, but still, this is a very traditional culture, and it's just—it's just interesting. But scenes like this really just bring yeah. that home to be like, you know, listen, this is a, this is a culture that's not necessarily in the '40s. It might have technology, and it might, you know, there's, there's be still an fucking tribal in the building. Dude. I mean, look at this. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it, it's yeah. literally, you know, the the most traditional of all of the countries, and it, it's just—it's uh, it's fucking badass. Like when I first saw this, like when we watched it last year. I was like, well, this is fucking stupid. And then I started researching and, you know, I, I got into like the Maori, the, the hakas, right? Like the fucking, when they do this like thing, it's out of respect. It's like this thing to like fucking pump you up and also respect your enemies at the same time. And it's also to like honor people, you know? And it's like, okay, so that's very fucking old. I mean, very old. Like that, that this is like fucking millennia ago the shit started you know and they're still doing it in the in the well this is 37 and that's why they were a formidable enemy i think is because like you said they had that thing that all bound them together you're fighting for a god you're part of that god and when you die you're an even bigger part of that god you know like it's it's fucking insane to go against an enemy that believes that because shit it is your you should feel lucky that you are allowed to subjugate these people for your god you know and that's why it's fucking the americans are here give me a hand grenade <laughs> you know like yep. i'll fucking do it just, yep i'll do it that's just yep. when you there's no other nation that goes into the war, like an industrial nation, that's like we are fighting for a deity. You know, Germans are fighting for a living space so that they can bring socialism to the country. The fucking the Brits are fighting because we're here. The Americans are well, what this is where we are now. We got attacked. Well, like the, the Japanese are like we're literally doing this because this is what our deity wants us to do. And yeah, and then two A bombs show up. <laughs> but it's just it's interesting, you know. And things like this really do bring that back. But you really have to just go to the root of it to really understand it all. Yeah. But, and that's the thing is like, no, they weren't savages. They weren't fucking, you know, as people were like, Oh, the, J the Japanese were savages in World War II. They were fucking vicious. It's like, yeah, they were vicious. They were good fighters because 
they literally believed in something that the Americans didn't and the British and Aussies and the Commonwealth didn't. Well, something they couldn't see, you know. I mean, a lot of Japan's reasons for wanting to go to war actually aren't that wrong, which is funny, but it's it, it's a very long, right. long story. Right, and that's the thing. Um, like, and that, we, we, we all know why they bombed Pearl Harbor and when they did it, like why they chose, you know, whatever. But like, well, it starts in twenty two. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's a discussion for a different thing. But like, <laughs> it doesn't make it right. But like, we know we can understand why if you look at history. Like, oh, that's why they did that. The, the most fascinating thing I've learned again with all this reading I've been doing is that Japan basically saw what happened to China in the Opium Wars and said, "This is not going to happen to us. If yep. they're going to show up on our shores, then we're going to be an empire and we're going to build the way that they do." And Commodore Perry shows up, and guess what they do? Fifteen years later. After they unify, they take over Okinawa, and then they take over Korea, and then they don't want to become a vassal of the West. And that is really what propels them to take these traditional ideas, like we talked about in The Last Samurai, but also mend them with this new way of governing. So it's like, we'll make it work. And that's why you have like sun god warriors, you know, fucking invading the Philippines in 1942. <laughs> like, you know, whoops, this, this is how you get there. So yeah, it's, it's, it's fucking insane. And, but like. And ju- and just like the film, you know, the war ends and and you are just stuck with this horrible trauma that you now have to deal with. And there's really no reason it should have occurred in the first place or ever would have have to have occurred. And, but here you are with these things that happened to you and uh, here, that's it. Yeah, the Zhang Zheng rifle, which is, I'm pretty sure that's an FML 1924 because it's got the stock. But yep. we'll see. Well, that's what happens when you struggle when you put a fucking 7.62 54R in your fucking mouth. There's only a pancake between the primer and the bolt. Yeah. It's not working! <laughs> the Hanyang, yep. Oh, yep. Just the G88. There would have been a lot more of those, just my opinion. So Type 38, yep. They are a great-looking rifle. With the dust cover, they look really cool. That loudest dust cover in the world. <laughs> I've never seen one with a dust cover, actually. I should have showed you one. Yeah. They're really loud. Really? Like, not stupidly loud, but they're just But is really it like kink kink? Or is it like... It's like twice the sound of the Kennedy 8 in Longest I, Day. I mean, if you think about it, you're putting, you're putting the sound of a bolt cocking into a tiny little metallic sheet, tube. Sheet so, metal yeah. housing that has no lubrication and also yeah. rusts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could see it being But it will like, keep you know. dust out of your action. I mean. Yeah. A lot of them were taken off because they're not as loud. Some guns in the Second World War had dust covers, but they were smaller. The G43s, they had them. And the G41s, actually. That's it. We're just move on to rifles. To the... <laughs> okay. Right. That's fine. I'm well, they don't have your Carcano in here, Mike. They're, they're definitely there. Carcano. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Carcano. Yeah. Here's what? Nate's favorite gun. Oh, yeah. What? He's got the barrel for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what he used to beat off methods. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, this is my club and stick. Those yeah. fucking ribs. Burn <laughs> oh. the fuck out of your hands, man. Yes. You definitely know when you've made an oopsie and you show everyone how much of a dumbass you are by grabbing it. Your fin barrel? <laughs> yeah. My finned fist? Yeah. <laughs> Finned Fist, that should be a band. That sounds like a superhero from the 30s. And the Finned Fist. Fist. <laughs> it's like the Phantom. This yep. is the, so it wasn't a fucking Maxim, it's a Vickers. 
Those mm. are Polish Vickers. Mm-hmm. The or image they have actually. for it just looks like a fucking like it's like one piece of museum. Of, oh, yeah, looks like a piece of aluminum. Yeah, this came out of a river in Jarkov, Eastern <laughs> Prefecture. Yeah. Take a lot of sandpaper. Type ninety two. Yeah. Oh, I want one of these so bad. The Dude, woodpecker. Nate, this and the Lafette next to each other. Yes. Are those Lafettes? What? Were that real? Were they the real Lafettes? Yeah, they're, they're the real mounts. Go up. Were, were they? I thought yes. they were. Okay. They had the three-man crew and everything. Okay. No, the, the, that machine gun was right. What the fuck? That, those are the crazy tank guns they actually used on the ground as well. They look really cool. They have the super mm. cool That's definitely a prop, though. It's definitely yeah. a prop. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But that's cool, though. Wow. Yeah, they had ground mounts and everything. I've only seen those once in a movie, and it was in the in the Look Pacific. I guess a TV show, but yeah. Yeah. I it, think hey, it made a weird noise. Yeah. All Japanese machine guns make really weird noises. <laughs> they had a fucking bayonet. Yep. Oh, they all do. Yeah. <laughs> what? Like type ninety two. Yeah. Type ninety two. Type ninety nine. It's a the type museum 99, I used though. to work at had a type ninety nine, uh-huh. and we used to put a bayonet on it for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Like you think your MG34 is cool? Oh, sustained rate of fire, you know, impingement fire. But can it take a bayonet? <laughs> oh, I don't think it can. Yeah. Good old Nambus. Yeah, the Type 14. Yep, that's that's right. They're wrong. So there are two types of Nambu Type 14 pistols, the famous looking ones, the ones that you could use your gloves in, and the ones you can't. And the ones that you could use your gloves in didn't come out till later in the war, till thirty nine. Yep. So, so a tighter t- uh, trigger guard. Yeah, yeah it's they, a regular, you it's literally a regular size. Yeah, yeah, mm. you literally they look nicer. You literally can't use them with gloves, so that's why they had to make them bigger. <laughs> it's like it was actually a problem. So, and don't Japanese officers like wear gloves in the beginning of the war? Majority it depends. Some yeah. units do, some units don't. Machine Japanese machine gunners are supposed to wear white gloves, and that was a big thing. I'm not exactly sure why, to be honest. Yeah, this is where I said bullshit, like on the grenades. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Well, they're, they're just post-war stick grenades, yeah. Yep. I think I think you ranted about that last time we talked when we did yep. it originally. Yeah, those are definitely not accurate for the time period. That's it. That's it. Shit. Well, now we're definitely on final there were thoughts. definitely guns in the movie. There. Oh, there were guns. In the movie, <laughs> as that was the most like that was the most like undiscussed uh, IMFDB page we've ever done. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot more shit in there than what they discussed, but whatever. Like, yeah. oh, we got a lot of gun talk in earlier too. But yep. Yeah, cover with so. that in. So, who wants yep. to start? Uh, I'll go, I guess. No, I mean, like you know, everything we we we've talked about. You know, it's it's if this was um, this was a. Hard one to watch for the obvious reasons for me. I mean, it was a lot of, I mean, you know, I don't come at Schindler's List going, wow, I want to watch that again. And what are you talking about? I fall asleep to that shit nightly. I want to look like, like Ray Fiennes. Emma Goat is like, I can fall asleep to him any night. So <laughs> Nate's just wondering why the convertible top is down. Like, what the fuck? Why, why are we driving a convertible in the winter? <laughs> Only one person has <laughs> ever said that. So. <laughs> So it's just it just it's the same kind of feeling I have with Schindler's List with this movie. It's it's very it presents historical knowledge in a very it, it actually it actually gives life to the story of Nanking 
and the atrocities that went with there, wit in there, and the and I think that is what is very eye opening about this movie is that it does not hold back. It's I th- yeah, because I said tasteful, and I hate using that word for this context, but it is it it it's not so much where it's like you get deadened by it, but not so little that it underwhelms it. It feels like it's just enough to really represent the atrocities and everything that had happened during Nanking and everything that went in there. And I think it did a really good job with that. Um, Cinematography-wise, felt really good. Uh, Editing-wise, felt really good. I mean, the film kind of gets a little slow, I think, in the middle, but it's because it's trying to flesh out a bunch of different characters and all their different paths and the tortures that they're going through. And so I'm not going to, you know, take away from that um going into it again it, it just it really hit home for me a lot more than it did the first time i watched it so i think this time for me it's going to be even higher score for what i gave it and i i'm going to give this i really 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 just i get again i think being black and white editing is great cinematography is great presenting the subject matter really well I think I'm going to give this a nine Screaming Mel Gibson's out of ten. I, I liked what had happened. Now I think where it kind of happens with me is I think it just gets a little slow in the in the middle, and there's a few things that I kind of don't like, like the John Wooing and all that kind of stuff. But but the again for a Chinese film, like it's really really good. So. Yeah, I'm going to give it a, a 9 out of 10 screen Mel Gibson's for me. It hit me in the right day, I guess, in the right feels. So That's a pretty, uh, pretty loud Mel's right pretty there. Pretty loud yeah. Mel there right there, yeah. yeah this one goes up to 11. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Brian, go for it. Oh, speaking of. Um, yeah, you know, we, I know we covered a lot of the film uh, in the review, so I don't have too much to add. But, you know, it's a truly unrelenting masterpiece that takes a non-biased or mostly non-biased look at one of the worst crimes in human history. You know, um, it starts with the Japanese soldier. <laughs> it's, it's a great film. It really is deep at times shot really well at times. And the only thing that it really has against it is some bad shots, whatever wrong soles on shoes or incorrect use of mortars or, <laughs> Yeah, you know t- X Y Z, yeah, whatever. Um, but no, it 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 goes out to tell a story, and it does it. And this, I f- really feel like this film could have been made by any country, and you would have been able to fool me. I would not have thought this was made in China in the modern age, because of just all the the other things like assembly and stuff that come out of China. Um, no, it's a great film, and and probably the best Sino-Japanese war film they'll ever make. Sino. You know, it's just like, yeah. So anyway, um, so that being said, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. I agree with Nate. It's just, uh, it's got a few technical issues, but it's uh, overall, it's just a great film. So, and I will pass the talking kettle on to you, Mr. Michael. Yeah. um, What else is there to be said? Um, This is one of those movies to where, like how you said, Nate, that, you know, you liked it more this time. Every time I watch it, it's one of those movies to where I like it more. But it's a movie to where I don't watch it that much because mm. it is so it is such a, like, like a, Schindler's List. I, I right. don't watch it that much. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't watch it that much, but I do like it a lot. 
And um, uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever really seen a movie where the deaths are just so matter of fact and so just like like that and um, so unblemished and so un. I don't know the the deaths in this. They're so like just that that just in the way they do it, it makes it even more powerful than if they were going to make it like really dramatic. Um, just like, I mean, that hospital scene right there. I mean, the doctor just like, you know, shoots himself in the head. So a patient just gets shot in the head and it's like that. And like the fact that they d- depict it that way makes, makes it way more of a, you know, of a hit. Um, so I, uh, the, 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 the fact that nobody really and, and taking something that is so like atrocious to where the, the Japanese could have easily been, you know, like we're just going to make them cannibalistic monsters, you know, and but we have yet we, we have ambiguity with everything with the Japanese and the fact that there's this, you know, the the guy who's the representative of Nazi Germany is sympathetic and um it's just it's so that all of that the fact that it is so not like a movie in terms of all that with heroes and villains and stuff like that makes it so difficult and so true and uh i love it about that and i love that it was also a fucking pain for the filmmakers to make because that's they clearly wanted it to be that they did not want to be you know a typical chinese war film with you know hordes of screaming people and things like that um so yeah, I am also going to give it a nine out of ten. I, I I think it's great. I think everyone should see it, and I hope it you know I I hope it it has a legacy and goes on to be considered one of those war films of the ages. Yeah, it's very hard going last. I actually haven't been last in quite a while now. I'm usually in the middle or first. So yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, what you just said, like, yeah, that's a lot of the shit that I was going to say. But like, yeah, it's. Again, the cinematography was very, very well done. The editing was very well done, in my opinion. Um, The acting was really good, too. Like, the acting, like, it, it, it actually made you... Even the characters that were supposed to be numb from everything they went through, like, you still feel for them. Because they're acting enough, and they're acting realistic enough to, like, where you go, God, I feel bad that dude or that kid or that woman or you know whatever it's like after women get raped and everything it's just like they they just like they're in they're in shock and they're like experiencing trauma and it's like those actors and actresses like really did a really good job and again like you were saying too is they could have just easily made the japanese soldiers look like ruthless soulless fucks they could have they could have easily done that you know a propaganda film but the fact that they actually gave some humanity to them and then showed the effects on them as well like okay yeah we got this period of you know we're we're raping and pillaging and you know to make ourselves feel better we're winning we're the conquerors and then they start going oh well this is really fucked up but i have no recourse you know and like that kind of thing it's like that was actually very impressive. And I'm sure that's why it got a lot of kickback, you know? And, but I'm glad, I'm glad this went through because yeah, it portrays like Brian said, one of the worst fucking atrocities that's happened. 
in recent years that we know of, you know, that was documented and everything. And it's like, nobody else has ever made a film about this because it's a touchy subject, just like any atrocity. Um, but it's like, yeah, you know, it needs to be told. Whether it was as many people as they say were killed or it was less. The fact of the matter remains is like it happened and people lost their lives as non-combatants. You know what I mean? Like it was, <clears throat> that's where it really gets tough is like when you're dealing with non-combatants, how do you treat the civilian population? It, even if you are the, the big bad conquerors, Genghis Khan, well, we're either going to kill you or you're going to breed more soldiers for us. And that's it. Okay, well, hey, at least that's a fucking line in the sand. The Japanese, they didn't know. And they're, you know, like, uh, it was brought up earlier. I, I can't remember who brought it up. But, like, you don't know because it's it's coming from such higher up people that aren't there with you. And you have to make that decision on the ground. And, yeah, shit happens. People die. You go way over the fucking threshold of what's acceptable to human nature. And you get Nanking, you know, you get, you get fucking all these atrocities that have happened. And the fact that this is somebody had the balls to actually portray this on film and do it in this way really is pretty impressive. It's a very intense film. Like everybody was saying, I probably won't watch it again because it's very intense, but all, all things considered, Technical things aside, again, when I was bitching about the technical shit earlier, I'm like, it's because the the film is so good, that shit is all forgivable, right? And it's like, I don't give a fuck, okay? The guy was wearing fucking Vibram soles. He was wearing fucking hiking boots. Who gives a shit? They're wearing civil defense helmets or tie reworks. Who gives a fuck on their helmets? Um, yeah, so I would say, all things considered, it's also a nine for me. Nine out of ten. So, Brian, it's gonna be really hard for you to calculate this one. I know yeah. I gotta do math. What? Well, how do I math? Um, hmm. So, putting all these scores into the computer that will tell us if Japan will invade China again, we get the score of nine out of ten, which is uh, definitely one of the higher ones we've ever done. Yep. You want to know? Yes. You want to know something? It's the highest. Good. So it's not, it's officially the highest it, record it should be. one we have. And what's the lowest? Uh, <laughs> Stalingrad 2013. Yeah, that was that so. was fucking terrible. 2.2. <laughs> that was fucking terrible. We'll, we'll top it eventually. Yeah, we, we can. It's like IMDb right now. You know, nine is their highest score. I just, I like just did Redemption. all of the ratings of every single episode uh, earlier this week. And so, yeah, the highest. What's our is, mode? What's our media? Yeah, our highest is now uh, City Life and Death, and our lowest is Stalingrad well, 2013. I'm okay with that. It should be fucking Hyena Road, but we won't go there, so it's okay. Right. I'll just say this. Like, because it's the highest score is, this is a completely fucked up and hard to watch film. Yes. Because it actually gets the vibe of what war is. And that's, I think that's why we all scored it so high for our opinions is like, it's really fucking dark. It's fucked up. It's really, <laughs> it's so fucked up. Might yeah. be why, why, why some of us are so like, 
low energy tonight. Like, oh, yeah, man, that, it was it was like I was I was watching it again this afternoon, and I'm like, oh my Let's god. Let's tell jokes about the rape of Nanking. It's like the same thing I said earlier in the beginning. Like, how do you even do that? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you, you <can>. challenge, <laughs> yeah. challenge. And I made all the jokes yeah. I could about the tentacle shit, but like it's like right. yeah, beyond right. that, it's like I got nothing. <laughs> you know, like it's so fucked up. But yeah. in a good way, like not again, not in a good way, but like as far as filmmaking is concerned, in a good way. Because yes. again, I, I would agree with you. Like Schindler's List is like that's it's not a film you want to just you know turn on the TV and fall asleep to. I don't turn it on to clean or anything. <laughs> like no. that's not something like I that's something unless I have to watch the city of life and death again, unless I absolutely have to, I'm not going to. Yeah. Cause it's so fucked up. Same with Schindler's list. Yeah. Unless, yeah, I unless I have to show somebody that watch it with them. So they watch it, and same with this film. I'm not going to do it because yeah. it's so incredibly fucking dark. You should you should watch it. Just be warned, and then you're probably not going to want to rewatch it unless you're like some kind of you know. Even if you, even <laughs> I don't you got know. some, don't, even if you got some like traits of psychopathy, like this will still fucking mess with you. This is the point where I don't tell you I've seen this movie five times. So <laughs> I've seen it like maybe five times. Which yeah, all right, so so they're the serial killers. We're not Mike. No, so we're, dude, we're psychopaths <laughs> like are not they're not always the serial killers. <laughs> Those two down there, Brian and Michael, way <laughs> huger film or huger, Jesus Christ. Way way yeah. Way bigger fucking film, like actual film, like critiquing film nerds than you and I, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, you know, they're they're cinephiles and like, (laughs) it's fine. It's like, it's fine. But like, it's, it's still like, we got the feedback and it's just a very, very fucking heavy film. Yeah. So. For real. Anyway. Very true. And I think that it's best to to end it with a quote again from uh, Mr. Frank. So, the Nanking Massacre has taken on an imposing gravitas. It is now undeniable that something horrifying took place in the city. Or as historian Frank Gibney simply phrased it, the important thing about the massacre is that it occurred. All responsible writers on the subject, Japanese and foreign, agree that tens of thousands of innocent people were killed. There's nothing else more to say about it. You know, it was, it happened, it was horrible, and this is an amazing narrative that shows future generations and current generations just might of what it was like, you know, for the whole thing. And nobody and, else seems to have the balls to tackle a subject like this and like put it in a film that's as fucking upfront as this one is, you know, like it's very rare you find that. It's fucked and definitely watch it. You know, yes. If you're, you're going to go through the top, just once, the scuttlebutt yep. list, you know, if you want to watch it from, from one to 40, whatever it is now. I don't uh, think something. I don't think something's going to top this for quite a long time. So yeah, it's it's a very powerful fucking film, and it's one of those that maybe Cross of Iron, at least for me. Yeah, but this this was shot a different 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 way. Yeah, Cross of Iron. We'll get there eventually, which is yeah, it's a good one. I I like that for a different movie. I think I think Cross and Iron Cross Crosses of Iron will, will be high. I just don't think it's going to. I just, just don't think we're yeah. gonna. I don't think we're gonna get another movie for like that. All four of us agree on. Yeah. To oh, be that high. I score. know a movie. April 9th, that we're Yeah. Pearl Harbor. 
Tikva. Oh. <laughs> we'll we'll agree. We'll hey, agree, but hey, we'll Brian, be going Brian, down. This so. is a war film review podcast. <laughs> yeah. Not a Titanic well, ripoff. No, podcast. Yeah, not a love well, story. No, no, no. Okay. There, there's at least two different wars in there. You know, there's about five, <laughs> and they all suck. <laughs> well, you know, that's a good point. There is a th- there. There's at least three. So, dude, that, that it, it was many, a chore to watch that fucking thing. I've only how, seen it once. How many magazines does an average pilot carry for their 1911? I just want to know. Like 12, 17, <laughs> 27. I'd say know, 50 like, at least. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm got, carrying at least 57. They carry they carry the extra mags in the wings. Across. <laughs> ah, well, that's why they couldn't make it to the bases in China. Right, that's, they only is, get this is oh. how if much they I ditched their t- well, it was only one world war, and it was only one in point five world wars at that point because Panama. This but, is like, how much know. I've like I've just shoved that movie out of my brain. I haven't seen it probably in fifteen years. Is this where like do, do it? Is, is this the last scene where he's on the plane, he's injured, and he's just cap and japs as they charge at him or something? In the cap plane? and japs, yes, cap and japs. Yeah, that's what that scene's called on the DVD. On that bombshell. <laughs> See you next week. <coughs> oh, that's, that's, it. that's just it. See you that's next it. week. <laughs> that's Bye. it. That's it. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a rating. Otherwise, Mel Gibson won't stop screaming. If you like this content, make sure to check out our Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram pages. If you want to directly support our work, make sure to check out our Patreon. All these links are in the description below. Until the next time, Scuttlebutt out.